Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome along. It's Writer's Routine. This week, joined by Xanthi Barker. She's been in magazines, won short story prizes, published novelettes, and her debut novel is out right now. It's called Will This House Last Forever? It's a memoir all about her dad, the poet Sebastian Barker, uh, dying. And we chat about how she expanded on that initial idea for what she wanted it to be. Uh, also, why for her being a writer is a way of existing almost rather than a practice and a craft. And we also talk about how her dad's view of the world and words and how they entwine, how that affected her own. I suppose it seems like it's a something about seeing kind of meaning in things and seeing everything as kind of metaphorical, like seeing how symbols are objects in the world as well as objects being symbols. So there's a kind of communication through um, objects and things and peoples and language which is you can be aware of or be open to or be receptive to and I suppose yeah being receptive to things in a way without falling back on cliches stick around it's a brand new episode of writer's routine yes Welcome along, it's Writer's Routine, my name's Dan Simpson, this is where we take a look inside an author's working day to see how they take the idea, run it through their pen, through their fingertips and get it down on the page. This week we're with Xanthi Barker, who, uh, who comes from high writing stock. She's the granddaughter of the poet George Barker and Elizabeth Smart, who wrote uh, By Grand Central Station, I Sat Down and Wept, which is inspired, it's a whole novel, inspired by... Uh, her relationship with George Barker, and she's the daughter of the poet Sebastian Barker. Now, this book, Will This House Last Forever? It's a memoir about their, at times, troubled and, and distant relationship. It's a collection of thoughts and essays all about him, and they're all addressed to him. Uh, we talk a lot about him, as you'd imagine, and how his ideas of work affected her, and, and what she does, and how she thinks of the world. Now, Sebastian Barker, he was a poet in the real romantic sense of the word although not a romantic poet you know you know what i mean more that all he cared about was the work and the words and the way of seeing things it was all about getting down his ideas uh, of how he saw what was happening and and quite often it seems to the detriment of their relationship 
she, she takes us through some of the times that she noticed that while she was growing up. Um, also, she runs us through writing a book as a new mum, why she did a lot of it on her phone and why her flatmate was a godsend. So that's all on the way and we get into it as we always do with what Xanthi sees around her in the place where she sits down to write. I guess I always typically wrote in bed. My, my circumstances have changed so much in the past um, year and a half because I had a baby and moved house and like my life just changed really completely. So I used to, I guess, just see it would be my bed. So I'd probably see a bookshelf and see the covers and see the, a closed door and hopefully a window. Um, but more recently I've been writing like on my phone well, my baby is sleeping, so I see like a sleeping baby and a duvet and a phone screen and and all the clatter of our very overfull, messy bedroom. Uh, 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 writing on a phone, I, I've I've never known anyone to like be able to do that for a consistent amount of time. How are you finding it? Um, well, I guess last year when my baby was. And a baby I mean he's a toddler now and that's why the last thing I was writing was really written then and yeah I guess initially I was like I, I, I can't I can't write because I can't have a computer or I can't hold a pen but because it just went on and on like he would just wake up if I moved so I was kind of forced to lie down for like hours every day and I'd be reading a lot but then I, when I wanted to do my own work, I thought, well, actually, I do have this time and it seemed like I shouldn't really be wasting it. So I thought, well, I mean, it's, it's only in my head, which is stopping me writing my phone. So I'll just um, see if it works. And actually, I, I wrote loads on it. Like just I mean, I have a really old rubbish phone as well, which is not like I mean, it's a smartphone, but it's quite small. So definitely hurts my eyes and probably isn't helping my already bad eyesight. But um, yeah, it seemed like more of a mental block than anything else. I mean, obviously that was before I was really using social media. So that really helps. Like there's no lure of something else on the phone. Cause that's a big problem now. And, and you said that you used to write in bed, uh, your bed and bedroom can be quite a, a private place. Some people separate the two. How was it for you? Uh, I guess being amongst everything that you associate with, you know, rest and, and pleasure, but actually doing your work there? Um, I guess I feel like writing is another very private thing. Like it, maybe it, for me, it kind of belongs in bed. Like it sort of belongs to that kind of like dream, private, like vulnerable world. Um, so I definitely find it probably much more difficult to write at a desk or in that kind of formal setting or like the idea of writing in a cafe or I know people do that. It just it seems really alien to me like I like to be able to move around to not be have to get dressed to be like yeah just kind of wake up and immediately be um in that like unformed state what do you think that's like the unformed state that's interesting how much do you think your like your mental state at that point when you are writing privately is it like mirrored in the unformed state of, of like your clothes and your setup when you're writing um yeah, I guess I, I think for me, like once I'm kind of dressed or sitting up or in a public space, like there's so many more um, things to think about and like so many more, I don't know, like oppositions or questions or kind of trying to be someone else for other people. I, I find myself really, really affected by kind of other people and I, I can't help but like want to please them or want to 
you know, include them or interest them or something like that. And that seems very like antithetical to like the writing process, which seems much more free. So here's the thing. I'm going to go back to writing on the phone. I'm sorry. Uh, Because I know that you come from quite a, like a lineage of, you know, like not romantic writers, but you know, the idea of, I guess your father and your your grandparents, like the way that they wrote, can be romanticized. I guess, whereas you're writing in such a with such a technological thing. Do you ever feel like, I don't know? You 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 said writing in a cafe that can be a barrier, an obstacle to you telling stories. How long did it take you to get over not having a pen, not typing away? That that was a barrier to you telling to you writing. Um, it's, I guess it's interesting that you're making the connection then with my dad and his parents and who yeah definitely had very romantic mystical kind of conceptions of what poets and writers are but maybe to me that almost seems like it goes with writing on a phone because it's almost like the the force of what's being written like comes to you and has to be recorded somehow and like it doesn't need those formalities of like a specific place like I remember once my dad came to like they're literally the only time in my whole life that he came to my parents' evening at my school. I think it was because my mom was away or something. And he'd come to my school and we had to go down to collect our parents from the reception. And I went to reception. I was waiting for my dad and he was really late, which was very normal. So I was like, okay, it's fine. But then I looked over and I, I could see in the hall and he'd gone to, he'd taken over one of the desks, which are the teachers are supposed to be sitting at the desk. And he was just sitting there taking out his, his bag and unpacked it. And he was just sitting there writing in the middle of my, my parents' evening. And um, I had to go, I went all the way into the hall, went to find him. I was like, what are you doing? And he just told me, he's like, sit down, sit down. I have to finish this because um, he was in the middle of doing his work. And I mean, yes, like, yeah, he was using a pen and paper. But I mean, if, if he'd had a phone and been had been like adept with using that kind of technology, maybe he would have done that just as much. I think it's much more the fact of writing is the, the process and yeah, the, the tools or the your, things you're doing with it don't don't matter so much to me I guess my dad always made made out that kind of to be a writer is much more yeah like a psychic position rather than an act of doing something or even you know of earning money from something or being published or anything like right to be a writer is like or to be a poet I guess he meant really it's like a way of being in the world a way of seeing things a way of experiencing things and responding to things and um and yeah I guess the medium is language so um that was very important but he never I mean he was really interested in etymologies and he'd always I know one one of my friends is a Lydia Davis um scholar and she I know Lydia Davis has writer parents and she talks about them looking up etymologies all the time and that was definitely like a big thing when I was with my dad if he'd um if you used a word or used a word in an unusual way or there was an interesting word, he'd, he'd go back to his giant etymological dictionary and look up the history of it. And that, I guess, gave me a sense of like the stories in language and the importance of words that you're using. And probably just, I guess, the, the vocabulary as well. Like my dad never, ever like spoke to us as if we were children. It was always as if we were his, you know, we were adults. So if we didn't understand a word, he'd explain it to us, but he wouldn't try and use words for children. So I suppose that's another element of it. Um, but really, I guess he was he was interested in like the making something. Like he was a carpenter and really kind of self-taught, skilled kind of builder and could all, do all kinds of things 
like that. And he was, I guess, interested from a philosophical or a metaphysical viewpoint of what, what it means to bring something into existence. So that's, I guess, another thing. It's amazing that you mentioned, and we will get to like the routine and a bit more about where you work. We will get to that. I'm just, I've distracted myself. Uh, <laughs> you mentioned kind of your dad's way of viewing the world as a poet was, well, your dad's view of being a poet was, wasn't necessarily like the, the, the gold is in the writing. It's in the way that you view the world. It's like a different stance, I guess. If you were to try and distill that view, uh, what, what would it be? What is a, a poet's way of going about life? Do you think? Um, I, I already can feel like my dad's ghost, like watching me get this really wrong, but I suppose it seems like it's a, something about seeing kind of meaning in things and seeing everything as kind of metaphorical, like seeing how symbols are objects in the world as well as objects being symbols. So there's a kind of communication through um, objects and things and peoples and language, which is you can be aware of or be open to or be receptive to. And I suppose, yeah, being receptive to things in a way without falling back on cliches or without falling back on uh, presuppositions. Like my dad had this coined this term presuppositionology, which I think is really important for his perspective of trying to look at what people presuppose, like what, what's been assumed and question those things so that you can get to some more authentic um, idea of something without it being shrouded by, you know, what you think you know or what other people tell you to know. The show is the show is writer's routine, Xanthi. So so talk us through yours then. You're in your bed. Well, I guess, I, like, I don't know at what point things changed for you. So you were forced, you had to do it on your phone because you had a, a baby at the time. But anyway, from what you remember of writing, will this house last forever? Uh, just talk us through an average day in the life of writing that. How did it look? When did it start? When would you work? When would you stop? Just run me through that. Um, okay, so when I was writing most of it, I was working in a primary school full-time as doing pastoral support work, so working with um, any children who needed like emotional support. So that was a very intense job in the daytime. And then in the evenings, I was studying a course on child development, which went on from like six till 10. So I didn't have any time, but I really wanted to, to write this thing. So I used to wake up at six in the morning, write until 7.30 in my pajamas, in my bed, drinking coffee, and then cram the kind of actual getting ready for work routine and then finally get to work and then come home completely exhausted. Um, but that felt like a very unsustainable routine. And also just, well, in some ways, I guess it was good to have everything crammed into that hour and a half. So I didn't even have time to think about anything the rest of the time. And I guess it, in a way, it's good not to have too much doubt time. Because when I had more time previously for writing things, often I feel like all the extra time you start to hate yourself and hate everything you've ever done. So it was helpful maybe to have this condensed time. An, an hour and a half, as you said, that is a condensed time. Um, how much did you know about what you wanted to get done in that time? Like if you're forced into action, if you've only got that time to write, uh, were you sat there thinking, right, I've got 90 minutes, I know what I need to get done? Or was it kind of more free form than that? Uh, yeah, usually I wouldn't, would know what I needed to get done. Otherwise, if I didn't have a clear plan, then you just go back to sleep, I think, like when you're really tired. In order to get out of bed, I had to know 
what I was doing. Um, and I'd written a kind of list of all the things I wanted to write about my dad because I was when I was trying to put together a book and then I was kind of slowly working my way through them and then once I'd written everything I tried to put them into some kind of order and then I had loads of gaps so I'd have kind of a list of things that I needed to go over or things I was editing you know with when I'd had comments or something and I was trying to go go through things again but yeah it was definitely very very decided in advance to make the most of the time when you finished up with your hour and a half every day when you were writing uh, what would you be happy with what you got done I mean was there a word count was there was there a specific aim that you wanted to get finished by that day uh not really I've always had more of a problem of like writing too much and then having to cut it down like I never really I feel like if I know what I'm writing and have a kind of clear idea in my head then it's more wanting it to be to have kind of hit hit the, hit the spot or like done what I needed to do like to get some kind of emotional reality from it rather than like number of words or something like that yeah I guess like having create created something or edited something or made something which I I think is good or is accurate to something I was trying to present that would be more important than like word camp or any more concrete milestones I guess and anything else along the way I know that that would help you carry on uh, little uh, some writers have like little quirks of things that they need like a specific song on in the background a cup of coffee brought to them at a certain time now I know you were writing for an hour and a half a day and we don't always have the luxury of someone being able to give us a cup of coffee whenever we'd like uh, anything like that for you Xanthi anything that just really helped you get get the words down I uh, just definitely not looking at my phone before that start so just kind of literally just wake up make some coffee and start without any um I think like even like conversation I had a very close friend who I was living with at the time and she really understood that I did if I saw her at six in the morning she she we didn't we weren't going to speak to each other and especially not about anything really like I don't know like emotionally charged but annoying like who hasn't done the washing up something like that like you just want to be able to have that uh concentration in, so that would be the only thing yeah more than any actual uh concrete stipulations hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little so naturally when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you that's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello 
Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You can hear more from Xanthi in just a sec. She'll take us through the book. Very quickly, uh, if you're enjoying the show, if you've learned anything along the way that has helped the way that you tell your stories, we do two episodes a week for you now more often than not with the bite-sized routine uh, you can always say thanks i guess to us for that by supporting the show becoming a backer at patreon.com forward slash writers routine by doing that you get our eternal thanks you get merch you get even more bonus stuff and there is a way for your book to sponsor the show so if you've released it in the last couple of years if the big release has been hampered become a damp squib because of lockdown or, I don't know, publishers not putting in as much as you felt your work deserved, well, let me do the plugging for you. Let me dedicate a whole show to your novel. To make that happen, uh, get to the Patreon, sponsor us, back us. Anything that you can shove our way is incredibly well-received, more than helpful. It helps us carry on bringing you chats with incredible authors as often as we can two a week at the moment to make that happen back us at patreon.com forward slash writers routine let's get back to it then with xanthi barker about her new book the debut full book called will this house last forever it's a memoir about her relationship with her father her, her dying father uh, sebastian barker the poet uh, in this part we talk about what she does when she has that idea how does she expand on it also whether coming from such a heritage of writers whether it almost felt a destiny for her, whether this was always going to be what she did. And we pick things up chatting about why she started writing something for her dad at all. When my dad was ill, he, he was diagnosed with lung cancer in July 2013. And at that time, I was trying to write a novel and I was working freelance and studying. So I had much more free time. But... Um, yeah, he was diagnosed and basically told he was going to die straight away. So, and I was 24 and I was very new. I had a really complicated relationship with him and had a lot of unresolved things. So it really threw me into complete like despair and turmoil and panic and like real probably crisis mode for like six months. Well, the whole of his illness pretty much. Um, and he died after six months. And so I couldn't write anything. And I was really, that was partly what made me feel so much worse as well, was that I, I just had all this time, but I couldn't do the thing I wanted to do with it. So I started writing a journal and that was a kind of journal of his illness and a journal of our relationship. And probably that's, I feel now, like that was when I really learned to write or learn to kind of make what was, you know, the things in my head be able to come out the way I wanted to in, in language. And then after he died as well, like I did so much writing about that as a kind of way of processing it and thinking about it and then after a few years it started to be much less like processing catharsis and much more like I was sort of doing something with it like that all that emotional energy had, could be made into something um and then especially when I used to go to visit his grave quite a lot and I would just sit there and talk to him or write to him when I was there and I had this idea that I could write, maybe make a book out of these letters to my dad. And this kind of addressing of him and kind of going through everything that had happened and I guess having a conversation with him I wasn't able to have when he was alive. 
Um, so, but I had to, I couldn't really bring it together. I'd kind of write vague lists and plans and outlines of what I could do, but I wasn't quite sure until I wrote this piece, Paradoxical, which I really was writing as a, to prove that he was still alive because I had this sense that he was still alive, but I wanted to, and that what people meant by death was actually like absurd and there was a more accurate conception of it. So I, I wrote this piece, Paradoxical, to convince people and to prove the the what I felt was true um but when I showed that to people then and they really liked it then that and something came from it it was highly commended in the spread the word 2018 life writing prize competition and they set me up with a mentor Kathy Rensenbrink and I showed her some of the things I've been writing and she really gave me the idea and and the, the motivation she just said look you can make a book out of this this is what you need to be doing right now forget everything else get yourself in the right mental space and just do it um so then that was when I really became much more, um, just had the conviction, I guess, and the support. And she she was quite helpful in finding, like, well, she just gave me a list of agents to contact and ended up introducing me to my agent. So that felt like a huge, huge step to have someone else saying, this is what you could do. And when before I'd kind of get halfway through a project and then just trash it out of sort of having moved beyond it or doubt and all the kind of typical self and work hatred you get when you're about that way through a project but this time because I had that almost like a lifeline like pulling me through it I think that's why it kind of came together. At what point did you realize like the purpose of this this piece this book so at at the start you said it was you know kind of letters of conversation with you and your dad proving is the wrong word but with paradoxical you know, saying how he was still alive and how he was still around you. When it moved on to a, a full-length, long-form book, Will This House Last Forever? At what point did you realise the point of what this would be, not so much for you, but for the readers who you would hope would buy this? Um, I guess, actually, probably way before I'd even written anything or thought that I would write anything, when I was reading a lot of dead dad books, like pretty much anything about a, a dead or dying dad, I, I would just, you know, like just wanted to read it as soon as possible. Um, I just had this idea that I wanted to write a book about grieving someone who you have really mixed feelings for, who not someone who's left and you kind of hated them or you're completely cut off from them and, and that process, or not someone who you really adored and they were kind of, you know, that that kind of grief experience. But yeah, about just about ambivalence and how that really affects the whole grieving process. So um, I think that was, yeah, that was always like my guiding idea. Like obviously it was writing about my own experiences, but I guess from a, yeah, from a more public perspective, my hope was that to make something which could kind of help people or that people would feel understood by who who, um, had had similar experiences, I guess. When you've written Paradoxical and you've uh, got the mentor who's helped you with the agent and now you need to work on it properly, you need to turn these kind of disparate ideas that you've had into, I guess, something more complete. What was the what was the first thing that you did, Xanthi, with all of the, y- you mentioned you had kind of written a, a vague, I guess, plot or a plan. Uh, what was the first thing that you did then? Um, 
What did I do? I guess I looked at my list every day and thought, which of those pieces do I want to write today? And then um, actually, especially once I had summer holidays from school, then I would usually take a notebook and a pen before my phone writing days and go to the, um, when it was a very hot summer and go either go to the Heath or climb onto my roof, which is a roof above Holloway Road, which is a very noisy but interesting place to write and yeah just write down everything I could um I could remember or just starting from the beginning and trying to write a whole piece in one go like I definitely found that if I got halfway through a piece and got interrupted then it it made it really difficult to kind of find the thread again although obviously like I had to rewrite pieces and that would be it's almost like a tipping point like I had to write beyond the tipping point in order to get the whole piece there um so yeah I guess I just the first day probably had had my whole list. I don't remember which thing I wrote first. I think it was probably something which didn't didn't even end up in the book because when I must have written twi- at least twice or, or three times as many words as have as have ended up in the book. I think yeah, it's more like ha- having like the tiny like tip of an idea, and then when you write it, like seeing seeing what it connects to, and then once I was putting everything together into a book, I actually found there was a lot of repetition and a lot of holes. So then trying to kind of get rid of the repetition, see where things should be introduced and trying to fill in the blacks as well. But yeah, I guess I was in the writing of it, like in the minutiae of like every sentence and and the word choices you use and the different, like even the the style and form that you're writing. And that seems to make the connections, which kind kind of expand the whole thing beyond those just like tip of the iceberg ideas. What about the tone and the voice? It's, sometimes it's quite hard to get that with a with a memoir when you know that, you know, hopefully a lot of people will read this. Uh, how much thought did you give to the, the, the narrative voice, I guess, that this would be written in? Um, I think Paradoxical is written in a very specific voice, which is almost feels quite like manic. Someone described it as like a hit workout like high intensity interval tra- interval training writing and i think that i knew that i couldn't sustain that for a whole book and i think that it would be really really hard to read something like that for a whole book because it is i mean nobody does hit exercises for an even for more than like half an hour right so i think it took me a while to find the kind of voice of the rest of it which actually to me feels very much like just the a voice which I would talk to my dad in like it feels quite conversational um I'm trying to remember I guess there's like what the, the piece is called a meeting which is maybe that's the first piece I wrote where I really felt like um this is the way I want to write it and that's about the last time I saw my dad, so which was two days before he died, up he had a poetry reading in Cambridge, and he promised me that day that we'd have a meeting to talk about. He wanted me to publish one of his poems, which is he'd never asked me to do something like that before. So it was like a very big moment, and he the last thing he said to me is, "We'll have a meeting." So when he died, I was just convinced we would have a meeting. Um, and so there's something kind of ghostly about the whole thing but also like a very very vivid memory because it's such a such like big moment so that felt like the the beginning of 
capturing a voice. And uh, yeah, a lot of the pieces I wrote were in the wrong voice, I guess, or a different voice or had to be kind of rewritten in the right voice. And I didn't write, initially didn't write them all addressed to you, to my dad. Um, so when I had enough pieces and kind of made that decision to, to change them all to you, like a lot of them, then I had to rewrite them, I guess. Like once I'd found the voice, is like going back and changing everything so that it is in the same voice. We spoke about words earlier on and, and what your dad had, or well, what you had learned from your dad about the way to treat words. And you said that you're known to overwrite. Uh, how much, how perfect, when you are writing, how perfect does the next word need to be? Are you always searching for precisely the right word? Or are you happy to just write anything and then hope maybe sort it out later? I guess like sometimes it feels like the when... I am able to write which isn't always like a lot of the time I feel like I everything's just coming out wrong like I'm not doing it properly or the words feel like jumbled or kind of false or not the right ones when it does feel I don't know I guess it feels kind of beyond my control but other times when all the words are turning out right I mean I'm sounding I maybe I agree quite a lot with my dad about there's something mystical about the whole experience of writing or creating something and but yeah I I guess then if I got to a point where I I know that the word I've put down is not the right one then I would probably spend a lot of time like going through dictionaries and thesauruses trying to get closer to actually what I mean and it's very satisfying to find a new word you hadn't thought of which is the word that you mean although it's frustrating sometimes if that word happens to be like a really obscure word or really formal word which doesn't quite fit with the voice um, but that is also kind of interesting aspect of it because it really makes you think very, very specifically about what you're trying to say. Um, so, yeah, I think I, I'm trying to get the words right, even though if I'm writing too quickly. But often if I go back over something, then, yeah, you have to have to change them and do all that extra kind of thinking work. Um, we, we've mentioned how, you know, your family is steeped in, in, in writing. And you said that you were, you know, working at a school, you were doing a course as well. It didn't exactly sound like you were set up to like immediately carry on the family chalice and, and, you know, be a writer yourself. But now, you know, you're you're a published author. Um, Was it something that you were kind of fine to carry on with? Was it something that you were trying to stay away from? Was this always going to happen, I guess, Anthony? Um, well, I, I think that I started writing, like, I guess I'm one of those probably quite typical writers who always, like, wrote as a child and a teenager, and definitely as a teenager, I used journaling as a way to just understand all the really intense, overwhelming emotional experiences of that time, and found it so, I guess, like, interesting, just what you could remember like something about the connection between language and memory and form or characterization or like speech just really interested me and and felt very like magnetic and then I I, so when I left university and I was there was a lot of other stuff I was kind of trying to process and like emotional things and other kind of challenges I guess writing just felt like the the really um like it was already there as as my tool for processing these things um so I and I 
I always loved reading. I mean, I studied philosophy, so I, I didn't study like any literature till I went back to university later. But I think I probably always just wanted to be a writer. And because my dad had done it, I guess I and my grandparents, it felt like a possible way to do it. I think on the end, so for a long time, I was just writing and working as a waitress. I worked as a carer for a bit. I worked as a tutor for a long time that's how I got into working with children and then worked in a primary school when I was kind of got to the point where I thought well I actually would like a job that gives me a bit more security and that I'm interested in and just I guess I really loved working in a primary school for that reason because there's so and similar reasons that I like writing it's because it's like about some kind of emotional reality and the relationships between people and um yeah that kind of like direct experience which feels very nourishing. Um, so, I, yeah, that's why I was working in a school. And then uh, I kind of put aside the idea of getting a book published and then all this stuff which I was writing about my dad kind of came together. So it was kind of a surprise, but I'd been doing... I'd had a few other things published, like I had a novelette published with one, uh, open pen and a lot of stories and stuff published. So maybe it was the other way around. Like I started writing first, then I tried to do something else and then I come back to writing. And that's it for Writer's Routine. If you've enjoyed the show this week, you can get a copy of Xanthi's book, Will This House Last Forever? using the link in the episode notes wherever you're listening and over at writersroutine.com too. Next week uh, is a big one. We're chatting to Steve Kavanagh, multi-award winner, Uh, all about his new Eddie Flynn book, The Devil's Advocate, which has been out a month or so now. Make sure you don't miss it. Follow us wherever you get your podcasts from. You can get in touch at writersroutine.com too. And by uh, chatting to us on Twitter, we are at writerspod there. If you can, take a second or so to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We would really appreciate it. And you can always support the show by becoming a backer over at patreon.com forward slash writersroutine. And I'll see you next week with Steve Kavanagh on the show. Until then, bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 